0: Wreck House Ramblings, episode number 33, take one. this is rack house ramblings episode number 33 i'm jeff your host and this is the 13th episode of the second season you know it really feels like the third season only because of the long break i took uh because of the class i was taking it was an emt instructor course and probably sound like a broken record but i really don't like online learning this class uh was called the hybrid format and we met twice a month and i'll tell you what it should have been called, instead of online, should have been called on your own, because really that's what it felt like. But enough of that stuff, let's uh, let's get into the show. And what I'm going to do for today, I'm going to sip on one of my old favorites, it's by uh, Bullet, Bullet Bourbon, Barrel Strength, that's one of my favorites, and there's not much left of it, so I'm going to probably just have one, uh, one serving here, and that's going to finish the bottle. So without further ado, here we go, some Bullet Bourbon, Barrel Strength, and... Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about Bullet tonight. And uh, here we go. This is great for loosening up and letting the creative juices flow. And I've had this bottle probably for a couple years now. Um, I call it a little bit hot, meaning that the proof is up there. Uh, the proof is 125.4. Um, normally I like to do it with a couple of ice cubes to let it water down a little bit, uh, and that's where I like it. But uh, what I like about this bourbon, it's smooth. There's no burn in the finish. And um, when you read the label, it's called Uncut Limited Bottling Bullet Bourbon Frontier Whiskey Barrel Strength Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey Batch Number 5. I said that all in one breath. That's a lot. One thing that stuck out of me in this label is called the words Frontier Whiskey. It's even um, kind of uh, molded into the, uh, the bottle. It says Frontier Whiskey. And I, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell does that mean, Frontier Whiskey? I know I've heard this before. I've heard that term before. I don't know where I heard it or whatever, but so anyway, I Google it and I found this article on www.softtracks.wordpress.com And I'm going to read some of this article. The article says frontier whiskey recipe. You don't want to try this stuff. <laughs> it's from March 13th of 2017 by a guy named Cody Assman. And I don't know if that's his real name or not, but that's, Who's getting credited for for being the author? And says the fur trade in America has a rich history and is important to understand. Most folks educated in history understand significant role the fur trade played in encouraging European settlement of the new land. It started with the French voyageurs in the east and would culminate with the American men of the west. Although culturally the groups were different, they both had same had uh, some similarities. For one. Both groups like their drink. Voyagers were noted as bringing copious amounts of booze in their canoes and the frolics of the mountain men rendezvous have been well noted. In addition to the use by the French and Americans, there has also been much written about the dubious use of frontier whiskey in trade with native people. The use of frontier whiskey in trade was a hotly debated issue during the fur trade era. On one hand, traders wanted to use it in trade with native people as this helped their profits. On the other hand, the ethical dilemma of saturating, <laughs> saturating those people with alcohol to essentially steal from them and debase their societies was not lost on people at the time. Using alcohol in the frontier trade was certainly a high issue in the 1800s. Again, for good or bad, the use of frontier whiskey was widespread throughout the fur trade era. What was it made of, though? While there were numerous recipes out there, I came across two recipes while reading Mari Sandoz's book called The Beaverman. And they kind of caught the author's attention. So here we go. Uh, In her book, Sandoz is uh, recounting a story in which William Clark had authorized uh, someone to make 250 gallons of alcohol up on Missouri. At the time, he had denied uh, Pierre Chutreau Jr. the same privilege. Once upriver, they turned the alcohol into frontier whiskey for use in trade. At this point, uh, the author cites two recipes. Here's one. It's called the Montana Blend. <laughs> one quart of alcohol, one pound of rank black chewing tobacco, one bottle of Jamaica ginger, one handful of red pepper, one quart of molasses, black Missouri water is required. <laughs> Boil the pepper and the together, and the tobacco together. When cool, other ingredients were added and stirred. As the whiskey was drank, more river water was added. Ugh, that was called Montana Blend. Here's another one called Upper Platte recipe one gallon of alcohol, one pound plug of black twist tobacco, one pound of black sugar or molasses, one handful of red Spanish peppers, and 10 gallons of river water. And it says in parentheses, in flood, uh, and two rattlesnake heads per barrel. So the in flood tells me it's like that brown, uh, muddy water, disgusting, absolutely disgusting. So there's two recipes for Frontier Whiskey. Variations in flavor might be a brush of vermouth, wormwood of the plains, or for an occasional real beaver man, a castrum for the musky perfumish odor. That's a beaver castor gland. Ugh. As you can see, Frontier Whiskey was nothing to be played around with. Ranked tobacco, handful of red pepper, beaver caster, rattlesnake heads. Once one ingredient that is easy to gloss over is Missouri river water and in the same book, the author recounts the complaint at the time the Missouri was too thick for soup and too thin to plow. That tells you how much silt and dirt was in there. Imagine the grime and grit that found its way into the whiskey concoctions. It goes without saying that you shouldn't try to make or drink this stuff at home. Ugh. Frontier whiskey was not for those in weak constitution. It was for rough and tumble frontiersmen. and was used to debilitate entire nations. These recipes can shed some light on how rough the frontier actually was. It wasn't a place where the faint of heart lasted very darn long. While not all men of the time partook in drinking frontier whiskey did play a major role in the fur trade and the settlement of the West. In conclusion, as much as I like to experiment with historical skills, this is one area where I have to pass. So there you have it, frontier whiskey. Uh, so, Bullet Bourbon used it on their bottle as a marketing word. And I would tell you, I would be very leery, <laughs> very leery about it. Um, that Montana version sounds absolutely disgusting. So, anyway, with that being said, we're going to start the show. Uh, a little bit of Bullet Bourbon, barrel strength, 125 proof. And we're going to transition right into Montana. So, s- the, the Montana recipe had me uh, thinking. We're just going to keep right on rolling. Ann and I went to Montana a few weeks ago, and I want to tell you guys about it. So we flew out of Detroit on uh, Friday. It was May the 14th, bright and early. And uh, we landed in Montana at 1 o'clock and had a whole lot of daylight in front of us. We've been to Montana before. Ann and I had like an epic adventure in Montana a few years back and went to Yellowstone also. But this trip's going to be uh, a little bit different. So this trip was going to be a little bit different. I reserved a Mercedes Sprinter van for the next eight days. Yep, it was pretty cool. Van fully decked out uh, with a queen-size bed, had a small kitchen, electric cooler, portable toilet, shower, It even had solar panels on the roof uh, so you could go off-grid camping. And I used a company called Tierra Traveler out of Livingston, Montana. But, you know, before we go any further, I got to tell you guys, Tierra Traveler was really helpful really easy to work with. Um, when we landed in Bozeman, all we had to do is grab our bags, uh, off the luggage carousel, walk out the doors. And our van showed up just a little bit later and a guy named Kenny got out, showed me all around, um, uh, went over everything, told me everything I needed to know. Um, and turns out he wasn't just the driver or like working for the company, but he's the builder. He's like one of the owners too. No shit. So he built like the whole van and correct me if I'm wrong, Kenny might be listed. I'm sure. Um, yeah you're the owner right one of the owners anyway so he took some time showed me around kenny was really cool everything was really easy made sure i understood everything um the hot water system the sink the cooler electrical stuff everything went over me probably took 20 maybe yeah maybe 20 30 minutes something like that so he handed me the keys and we were off we started the venture got going uh ann and i brought our clothes our backpacks i brought a couple of fly rods um The van had all the bedding, plates, cups, silverware, lawn chairs, barbecue grill, Coleman stove, axe, even firewood. And I loved it. It was so cool. Um, Our first stop, though, was for lunch. We were both pretty hungry. And so we were on the way to uh, Walmart, like usual, whenever we go on vacation like that and saw a taco truck. So we uh, grabbed some tacos and ate right there in that parking lot, then kept right on going to Walmart in Bozeman. And if you've never been there, this is a really popular place. Um... We parked in the section a lot that was just for RVs and campers. No shit. And I bet you didn't know it, but Walmart um, has a policy of free overnight camping. They, real, they do, for real. Check it out. So we parked our rig alongside all these other campers. There were probably six or eight of them there. Um, and we went inside, did our shop, and we picked up some bottled water, snacks, some um, dehydrated meals for the week, uh, beer, Uh, Fishing license bear spray, yep, it's real popular to get bear spray at Walmart because it's cheaper than any place else because, you know, the places we're going to go is bear country, so you got to have it. And kind of situated the cooler and got everything unloaded, and I uh, got out Google Maps and plotted our route. For the first night, uh, the campsite was a few hours away. Uh, It's called Lost Creek State Park near Anaconda, Montana. Um, I stumbled across this site while I was surfing YouTube. I don't ask me how, but I found it. Um, the state park, it's kind of nestled in the, uh, the Beaverhead Deer Lodge National Forest. It was about an hour and 45 minutes uh, out of Bozeman. So we headed to Lost Creek State Park. And like driving out there, you're on the Frubay. The landscape was pretty flat, kind of rolling hills right up until we got to the state park. And it was at the base of these two really steep cliffs. It was absolutely perfect. We were kind of in the shadows of the Rocky Mountains. And it was at least 10 or 15 degrees cooler once we got back in there. And uh, I guess to give you an idea, it was 70 degrees in Detroit, right? 65 in Bozeman. So now here we are. We pull right to the base of the Rockies, and now it's in the 50s. And we're standing there between two um, like sheer like cliff faces, one on the left and one on the right. And the campground kind of goes between them. And, um, once we get in there, there's like these islands of snow, no shit. There's still snow on the ground back in there. And before I forget too, like running next to the campground is a stream and a freaking waterfall there too. And that's what runs between the two mountains, so to speak, is this stream and the campgrounds right alongside it. It was pretty much everything I hoped for. Um, so if I was to paint you a picture, we're kind of standing in this cool, crisp, uh, like a deep valley with these rocky, jagged cliffs cliff faces uh, on two sides of us. There's tall pine trees everywhere and our campsites kind of nestled in there. And you can almost taste the air. It really smells like pine. It's clean and it's crisp and clear. And you hear this steady rumble of the stream. And it's about like uh, 50 yards from our campsite. And then you just follow that up for a couple more minutes and there's a waterfall and it's just like roaring. You can hear it rumbling as you get closer. And so the water crashes over like a bunch of big boulders, really loud. And as you get closer to the water, the air gets even chillier. You can see your breath as you get over there because there's a little bit more snow and it's all kind of hidden in the shadows of these two mountain faces. But anyway, it was a spring runoff. The water's probably colder than ice. I had to reach in and feel it, of course. And we spent the afternoon kind of exploring that area, did a little short hike. And it was an early night for us because we were up all day, up early. We had a campfire and um, it got into the 30s that night, but it was no big deal. We snuggled in the camper, which was really cool. It had a Really sweet um uh like this poofy comforter called a rumple. R U M P L. It's some fancy puffy blanket. It was sweet. And the other thing this camper had was covers to go over the windows. They were insulated. And I didn't I guess I never thought of it, but the windows are where all the cold air comes from, right? So uh Kenny went over with me the uh the insulated panels that go over each window and they're magnetic, so they just go go right over the front window, the windshield, the driver's side door, passenger side door, the rear doors, all the windows in the, in the whole van had these sweet insulated puffy uh, window covers. So we put those on and it was nice and toasty in there. It was so cool. Um, So we woke up the next morning, we had some breakfast, I had a little bit of oatmeal and had a protein bar and we kind of started our day and hit the road. And I wasn't exactly sure where we were going to stop next. And that's kind of the beauty of this van. You don't, you can go wherever you want, especially in national forests. Their camping policy is just uh, to be 500 feet off any road, things like that. But um, we found a place to. Uh, we wanted, to, I guess, we wanted to take two more days to get up to Glacier, and there was no exact route I was going to take. So we could have drove it in one day, but that, there was no fun in that. I wanted to do some exploring, so uh, I went on Google, found this spot on a river, and we took off. And a few hours later, we stopped at a place called. Uh, Forest Grove fishing access on the Clark Fork River. and it was, pr- it was pretty cool. This um, it was really more or less like a boat ramp with four campsites next to it. And we were the only people camping there. It was super quiet uh, all day except for the occasional boat being launched. Uh, I think I counted three that day. And our site was right on this Clark Fork River and it was a big river and it was really moving. It was springtime. So I tried to throw in a fly rod, but it just wasn't happening, but that was okay. We had a cool site. We're next to a river. It was really quiet. Um, It was a warm day. (laughs) It was in the 80s. (laughs) We set up our camp. No clouds anywhere. Perfect blue skies, just like the day before. Um, Pulled out our chairs and spent the day hanging around there. I did um, uh, try out the outside shower. It was pretty cool. This van has like uh, outside spigots, like hot and cold water. And you just hook up a hose, like a little garden hose with the sprayer on it, and set it to hot. And you just pull the trigger, and it had hot water. It was uh, hot water on demand. And when you open the back of the van and look underneath uh, the bed, the bed was on a raised platform. So you open these two back doors, look under the platform, there's a 40-gallon water tank. And right next to it was a hot water on demand unit. And then when you open the doors uh, those act as like your little shower area. He had a mat that you lay down and then a little shower curtain that was held in place by magnets. You just kind of snap them on the door and you had a little shower area. I thought it was pretty cool and wasn't very impressed with it, but I thought it was cool. So anyway, um, we sat around the campfire that evening uh, and the crazy thing is just before dark, this little Subaru pulls up. And <laughs> and they start unloading and setting up their camp. They unloaded a shit ton of boxes and spread out this foam pad in their little hatchback. And really, Ann and I were thinking they were homeless and didn't want to pay the $6 to camp. Yeah, it was 6 bucks. But anyway, so we went to sleep <laughs> and uh, had an uneventful night. And uh, our plan for the next day was to head to uh, Missoula. And I'd read about it and always wanted to stop there. It's a college town. Um, so we got up next morning, had some, uh, same thing, oatmeal and breakfast or whatever, and, uh, headed uh, up that way. And it, when we got there, it reminded me of Ann Arbor and we were there, what was it? A Sunday morning? Yeah. Sunday morning. So there was a farmer's market and we went to this farmer's market and, um, it was mostly like all hippie stuff, kombucha and honey <laughs> and shit like that. And the Bitterroot River runs through the town, um, and so there's a river walk that run walks alongside it. And that's where we were walking and the farmer's market was and all that. And as we go on this river walk, there's the, the banks of the river and there's people along the shore and they're watching these guys surf in the river. And I'm like, what the fuck? There's guys like surfing in this river. And really they had surfboards and they had, uh, Wetsuits or dry suits, I'm not sure which, but they would just kind of surf in the little eddies around the boulders. So as the river's flowing, imagine a river with rapids, right? They would just pull right into one of the rapids and just kind of stay in that one spot, just go back and forth, side to side. But really, you know. I never, yeah, I was scratching my head. I'm thinking, guys are surfing here. Just think Lewis and Clark, when they came through this area, not in their wildest dreams would they ever believe people would surf. They didn't even know what surfing was. But anyway, we watched it for a few minutes, and it looked like this cool hipster kind of thing. And out of, like, all the 10 or 12 people, guys out there in the water, only one was surfing. The others were just kind of sitting there on the rocks in the little island in the middle just watching, so... In my head, I have this picture of this bearded kid walking into a coffee shop wearing a wetsuit. You know, I will double half-calf mocha latte, chatte, whatever. Oh, me, don't just my. I'm surfing the Bitterroot. And I'm thinking, how cool, right? That's really all they're doing. I didn't, I, not all of them are surfing. Only one was. But anyway, so uh, after that, stopped in the little fly shop there to ask where to fish and what flies, blah, 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 and where I can go. And this guy was really no help. I had to laugh because it was Totally, like every fly shop I've ever been to, people have always been really helpful. You buy some flies, they give you a little info, tell you uh, kind of what rivers to check out and things like that. But I was kind of disappointed. Here I am in Missoula, Montana, beautiful, you know, trout fishing, fly fishing mecca, and I couldn't get shit out of this kid. So anyway, we were—I was disappointed. We walked, hopped in the van, we drove to the next town. It's called Kalispell, and that's kind of at the uh, the gateway to uh, Glacier National Park. And, um, we ran into the grocery store and I happened to, I don't remember what I wanted. Was it meat or something, something more to eat, I think, other than dehydrated meal. And we went through the, uh, the meat aisle and I came across these Wagyu beef steaks on clearance. So we got them and grabbed a few other things and found a fly shop in town called True Water. And it was totally the opposite. This guy was really helpful, um, told me where to fish and even where to camp. It was like the same place. So that was really cool of him. And we ended up driving west of town, which is the opposite direction of of, uh, Glacier, but uh, we ended up camping along a river called the Thompson River. It was really, really another awesome spot, pretty cool. Um, It was a warm day, no shade really, but that was okay. We just kind of hung out there, and I fished for the afternoon, and I did end up up catching a uh, Montana whitefish, which is a native fish to Montana. It was pretty cool. And... um, it was more like, I wouldn't say a river. It was more like a stream kind of winding through some tall grass and all that. And the fish reminded me of a grayling. It was pretty cool. But anyway, um, for dinner, we cooked up the steaks, but I did them a little bit different. We had this campfire and I found a, uh, a flat, um, slate rock and threw it over the fire and did it like black rock style. It was sizzled like right over. I cut the steak into little strips and sizzled right on the rock. It was pretty cool. So we had a cool night. Um, Uh, sleeping in the van was pretty cool. And anyway, we're going to go the next day to Glacier. But you know what I'm going to do? I think we're going to make this a multi-parter. We're already getting 20 minutes into it. So you know what I'll do. We're going to stop the storytelling at that part right there. And we're going to move into the uh, next segment. So stay right there. I'm going to take a pause and be right back. Okay. We're back. Rackhouse Ramleys. We're going to take a hard right turn and talk about motorcycles here. Uh, we're going to talk about my motorcycle specifically. <laughs> um, recently I made a road trip down to Columbus and bought a used, uh, motorcycle Suzuki, uh, TU 50, TU 250. It's a small bike. It looks kind of retro. I kind of, I like the look of it. Reminds me of something like Steve McQueen would ride or something like that. And, um, I've been wanting one of these for a while. I did sell my old bike; was a, a BMW, like F eight hundred GS. And if you know anything about motorcycles, that's a big bike. Not just engine size, but the bike itself is tall. It is um, heavy. Um, it rides good once you get going, um, but when you stop at a light, for me, I'm a little guy. My feet, my tippy toes are on the ground. It was it was tough to move around the garage if I ever need to do anything out there. I was it made me kind of nervous. Like if I ever fell over. Uh, On its side, I didn't know if I'd ever be able to lift it up. So anyway, after some research, I found, you know, this TU-250 fits what I want to do, just for riding around town, just for messing around. Easy to use, easy to ride. Um, Plus, it's, uh, if you know me, I like to tinker. I like to work on my own things, take them apart, put them back together, maintain them, change the oils. That's something you couldn't do on the BMW. There's a lot to it. But this one, it's so simple. It's an air-cooled, fuel-injected. Uh, has no radiator, no cooling system, um, being that it's fuel injected, there's no carburetor to fuck up, nothing to get gummed up, you know, because motorcycles tend to sit, you don't ride them every single day, and fuel injection mean there's no choke, just turn it on and start it up and it goes, single cylinder, doesn't get any simpler than that, so um, I know some of you guys might be shaking your head, a 250 to, I know, it's more like a moped than a motorcycle, but anyway, so I'll throw up a picture on Instagram about that. And what else do I got for you guys? You know, I got some feedback in regards to Logan. And I want to tell you guys what I'm going to do. Uh, I can't really cut off Logan. I think that'd be cruel. But what I will do is if you ever see the podcast that has Logan in the title, that will be a Logan podcast. And if you want, you can just skip that one and go to these. I'm going to start uh, kicking these back out again and you'll see more of my podcasts with cool stuff in them. So anyway, I'll keep Logan uh, separated on his own. Just skip those podcasts. If not if uh, you don't. If you're not interested, then come back to these. I really appreciate. it. Thanks for the feedback, Rick. That's the kind of stuff I want to hear. So I'll keep it uh, keep it cool with you guys. So oh, another thing I want to talk about. Uh, last night there was a documentary on the History Channel called History. I highly recommend it. It looks like a two parter. I watched the first part last night. History of the rock band KISS. If you don't know anything about KISS and the KISS Army and the the makeup and all that stuff, I highly recommend it. It is really cool. The way Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley tell a story, uh, I'm not going to give too much away, but check it out. Roger, if you're listening, KISS Army. I know you're in the KISS Army. Uh, Anyone else? uh, Lance, if you're listening, I'm sure you're not, but that'd be another one from the KISS Army. But anyway, KISS 3, check it out. And then another TV show, uh, alone on the history channel, check it out. If anyone wants to do some alone talk, uh, talk about the show or anything, shoot me a text and maybe we'll uh, do something on the air like that. Or if you even want to talk about the kiss show too. So anyway, uh, next, uh, podcast, I've got a couple of new bourbons. If anyone out there wants to come and do a tasting and record the podcast with me, I think I've got one, two, three. I'm looking at, uh, whoo, four bottles here unopened that I need some taste testers for. So if you're interested, shoot me a text. Uh, We'll do a podcast, taste a little bit of bourbon, talk about some uh, other stuff like that. And uh, I guess that's it for now. Wrap it up. Thanks for listening. Rackhouse Ramblings. We will talk to you guys next time.